For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Good evening, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to another wonderful episode of Jaybird Watching. we got a special kind of reunion episode going on here tonight. I am Craig Borden shouting at you, along with my co-host, Brendan Panikar. How is it going, my friend? Going well. I'm not going to take up too much time introducing myself, because you all know who I, I am, so let's introduce our guest, Craig. Yeah, um, first time, long time. Ari Shapiro is back with us, and we're having, like I said, a quasi-Jays Journal uh, reunion here. But Ari, how the hell are you, my friend? Dude, I am so thrilled that you would invite me on your excellent show to talk baseball in November, because I, I, I always wanted to do that, talk baseball in November. Now my dreams come true. <laughs> it has nothing to do with that wonderful cold you know, Ontario disgustingness that we're all dealing with right now. There's 11 inches of snow here in Rochester, New York. I mean, sorry, 25 centimeters for everybody else is paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a Canadian podcast, last I checked. I will try to keep it metric. <laughs> <laughs> so, but fellas, it has been a weird week in Blue Jays baseball and some random rumors already flying around. We've gotten our... I guess our new opening day pitcher last couple of weeks and Chase Anderson, and apparently there might be more pitching coming down the way here. Um, Ari Shapiro, have you heard this news that the Blue Jays are on the hunt for starting pitching talent? You know, it's funny that you say that because I think I've heard that news now for years <laughs> about how this organization is focused on developing pitching talent. And at the same time, realizing just how bare the cupboards were for a while there. So, you know, on one hand, it's refreshing to hear that the organization is trying to get pitching. But, guys, let's be let's be clear here that, uh, you know, when you have the kind of year they had last year, you can only go up when it comes to pitching. What was it, like a five-and-a-quarter ERA last year? Like, really? You know, that's not even... That's not even a bad year. That's like a we give up completely and, and let's see what we've got. So, you know, they're, they're, I think you both agree that there's like a nice cluster of really good, talented pitchers out there that can be acquired during the offseason. The problem is this is not the type of organization that's shown any real willingness to spend money on, on big free agents. On that note, Mr. Panikar, um Mark Shapiro went on record basically saying that Garrett Cole is going to be looked at. The Steven Strasburg sweepstakes are going to happen just as much as Cole, but do you see them running out and probably more or less not doing too big of a splash on that, or what do you think? Yeah, no, they're not going to play in the Garrett Cole or Steven Strasburg sweepstakes there. It's nice of them to say that, and I think maybe they're thinking that some Blue Jays fans need to hear that kind of stuff, but you know what? I, as I predicted a few weeks ago, um, when we were wrapping up our, I think our first preview episode, I said that Kyle Gibson seems like the kind of guy that this front office would go after. Nobody that's overly flashy, nobody that's actually overly good, but he can be stable and bring you innings. And you know that every fifth day he's going to go out and take the ball. So if they sign anybody, it's probably going to be like a Kyle Gibson or a Tanner Roark, where I'm thinking they're going to make an addition to get a starter that will be here the next time this team is going to the playoffs will be via trade. And it sure sounds like that with a lot of the conversations and rumors that have been floating around lately. Yeah, and we'll get into some of those rumors very, very, very shortly. But I have to make this joke, fellas. It is an even year, and Rick Porcello is on the free agent market. Do I take a chance? Right on. <laughs> hey, come on. Why did I knew that was coming? Why did I, knew, I somehow knew that was coming? You know me all too well. <laughs> But, fellas, there is some decent arms out in that B ballpark, and probably highlighted by the, uh, you know, aptly named Dallas Keuchel as far as, you know, quality goes. But there's some decent names out there that Shapiro didn't make it sound like they were, you know, completely out of the ballpark here. So, Ari, what do you think? Do you think they invest heavily on somebody that's kind of that 
next echelon past the ace ace level i don't know craig I, i'm trying to decide whether or not someone who has been so profoundly optimistic about what this team can do which is what you do every year and i i really love about you but i i gotta ask myself like how sincere this this uh, this notion of this organization spending money on someone like a Keiko. I mean, there was an opportunity to get him earlier in this decade. You know, Dallas Keiko has been a pitcher that's been mentioned as you know uh, the kind of pitcher that a team would love to have, but is not willing to make a serious commitment with. And I think that's Mark Shapiro's problem: is that you know he'll talk about how he's interested in upgrading pitching, but as like Brendan said, I, I don't think it's realistic to expect that they'll do that, knowing that you know. Uh, what, what is the real urgency this year? I mean, I, I don't know how either of you feel, but is this a year that Mark Shapiro has to be worried about his job? Is there a yes. possibility that if, if yes. he doesn't get pitching and the team ends up being bad, that there's a chance he might lose his job? Because if the answer is yes, then maybe he will. But I don't know how you guys feel about that. Yeah, I uh, I definitely think this is the year in the offseason to push your chips in, especially because as we're going to be going in later in the episode, going around the diamond, your infield set. And your outfield, for the most part, is kind of set. I'd be very disappointed if they don't walk away getting a full-time outfielder. But, yeah, uh, you got to start pushing some of your chips in. It is encouraging to see some of the quotes that Scott Mitchell on Twitter has been coming out with. Now, the, the catch to that is, are they serious? Will they actually do it? Just in terms of being able to spend on that next tier. So just like an example, Zach Wheeler. Would they spend money on Zach Wheeler knowing that they would have to give up uh, a draft pick, so it would be a high second round pick in next year's June draft and $500,000 in bonus pool money. I'm not so sure. It is kind of encouraging hearing that that wouldn't be something that gets in the way, uh, but Wash Atkins wrapped up that uh, quote saying of acquiring talent. So that doesn't necessarily lead us to believe that it will be a Zach Wheeler uh, or anything like that. So I don't know. I think a lot of people are starting to realize that, yeah, if you don't walk away with something better, than Chase Anderson, uh, or maybe even like a Kyle Gibson or Tanner Roark kind of level kind of pitcher, which all three of those guys are, there's going to be some pretty pissed off people come opening day 2020. Oh, you're right. And and not only that, baseball as as an entity, right, that has been in a, this kind of last few years perennial state of, of labor unrest, I think this could be the straw that breaks the camel camel's back because you've got about 10 to 12 really good quality arms that will be available and if we have a repeat of last off season where some of them don't sign or very few of them go before you know the last few days of the season starting, I think you'll see not just an uproar with fans, but you'll see the next potential evolution of what could be an eventual work stoppage. I know, Craig, you've been concerned about that for years because of the way it's unfolding. Do you really think that there's a possibility that you will just see a repeat of teams like the Blue Jays basically saying, look, we could spend money, but why bother? Because we'd rather just keep our draft picks or keep developing our homegrown players, knowing that we can spin it as a gradual rebuild as opposed to a sense of urgency to go out and get a competitive team. Yeah, it's interesting to see how this year is going to play off because this is going to be the last year that literally sets it off. And we already got a smoking gun, unfortunately, with one of our former Blue Jay loving people <laughs> that's saying certain things that apparently are getting pulled into certain directions as far as the Tony Clarks and whatnot of the world of the MLBPA. But, fellas, this is another year that Dallas Keuchel had only 19 starts last year. Doesn't even have a qualifying offer um, tied to him this year because of that. That's a chance the Blue Jays could take right there because they don't have to worry about losing the draft pick, right? You would think? Yeah, That's I what really hurt Keuchel I last year. Ahead, you just want to see an effort to go out. You know, you you want to see an effort to go out and try and be competitive. Yeah. And if you're not if you're not taking if you're not taking these kinds of quote calculated risks, the way that Shapiro is actually known for, because he's all about reclamation projects, right? That's his mo. He's always like, who can I get that won't make me tie in long term? Will be relatively cheap, and I'll look like a genius if they work out. Dallas Keuchel fits that bill perfectly because you know he's still got something left in the tank. It's just that he's not 24 and flashing. So on that note, because you're talking about making splashes, we've already been hearing a couple rumors that are probably not settling very well with Toronto Blue Jays fans. And one of them, the most recent, is the fact that apparently Lourdes Gurriel Jr., fellas, is possibly sitting on the waiver trade block idea here. Brandon Panikar, do you think this is just, you know, 
soapboxing and standing up and going, hey, look, by the way, we're selling players hoping they get a dangle, or do you think they are actually legitimately shopping Loris Gurriel Jr. after a pretty decent season? I, I don't know if they're actively shopping him. Uh, I think it was more so speculation on Scott Mitchell's part that Loris Gurriel Jr. could be an intriguing piece because he's under contract until after 2024 at a very cheap cost. He kind of broke out this year when he was healthy offensively, but my answers kind of changed knowing that this would be talked about because John Morosi just put out on Twitter a few minutes ago. Oh. I'll read it to you guys. Breaking because news. Ross Atkins was asked how active Blue Jays trade talks have been on Ken Giles. He says, we've been really focused on acquiring players. We haven't really been engaging on trading players away all that much. So that signifies to me that they're looking to trade away some prospects and potentially acquire some starting pitching is what he was saying. But just, sorry, just getting back to Lewis Gurriel Jr. there, Maybe that kind of signifies, no, he won't be traded. But you know what? At the same time, if it gets you a starter at the level of, like, a Herman Marquez from the Colorado Rockies, who's only 24 and absolutely electric, I'm all for it. Because you're not going to get Herman Marquez on the free agent market that young and that good and that talented. And they need an arm like him anchoring the rotation. So it ultimately depends who they're going to get. If it's for somebody like all the plentiful arms that are on the free agent market, then it doesn't make any sense at all. But if you're going to get a guy who's young and under control for a guy who's also young and under control, absolutely, go for it. Ari Shapiro, am I, like I trading too much if I'm trading one of my sure-thing outfielders probably for this coming season? You're asking for a serious answer when you use, like, both our names. Like, like you know, our first name and surname. Like, you know, because I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I'm being put on the spot. You know, you're like, Brendan Panikar, I want an answer right now. Give me. I, I like your answer, by the way. Brendan, but but you know, I asked myself a simple question: Who's the one Blue Jays player in the last couple of years that has done anything of note that actually not only made fans interested to follow the team, but actually got some kind of attention down south? And that's Louis Gurriel. I mean, this this guy between his you know multi-hitting streak when he burst on the scene as a rookie, what was it, eleven games, at least a couple of hits? Remember that? He went yeah. and challenged like a 1927 record or something like that. And then he had that multi-home run streak as well. Like, this kid's a baller. I, I don't understand how there could be any rumors about trading him. I don't. This is exactly the kind of guy that you want to keep working with because it seems like he can respond to change and is re- receptive. They turned, you know, they, they sent him down when he was struggling and he came back. And once again, he was an exciting player to watch. And quite frankly, I think he's one of the few players in this lineup who can really handle a bat in crucial game situations. So to me, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, I don't understand how rumors like that exist. I don't think you give up on Aguirre Jr. at this stage in the game under any circumstances. I think no matter what you'll get back for him, he's worth, I think, looking at another entire season to really figure out whether or not it can be part of a long-term picture, in my opinion. Yeah, looking at both of what you both have summarized here, the fact is you need to be, if you are trading Loris Gurriel Jr., needs to be for a centerpiece in your starting rotation, or you need to keep this solid bat in the middle of your lineup. This is a guy that has not just the bat power, guys, but he's got some speed. This could be an interesting dynamic for a Blue Jays lineup that we have not seen since I'm going to go to Ari's here, uh, the drive for 85. <laughs> Look at his name. You're talking about the, the kid is part of a, a, a royal baseball name, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Gurriels have demonstrated on an international level, uh, coming from where, what, Cuba, right? They're Cuban. Coming from the Cuban baseball system, they've demonstrated that they've at least got some of the fundamentals that most North American players these days don't have. So if you're lucky enough to sign a player internationally, get him to play for you as an American League franchise and get some semblance of like baseball fundamentals. I see you 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 ride that while he's in his twenties. Be different if you were older, but he's what, twenty five, twenty six years old. Why why am I gonna give up on a, a Lewis Gurriel Junior at this stage in the game? The upside is too great. Yeah. Is that possibly selling too low, Brennan, do you think on uh Lewis Gurriel Junior right now when we know what he could possibly be? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's interesting. I, I, I totally am uh, I'm 100% fine to keep him as well. And I agree with a lot of what you said, Ari. I, just, I think it just depends. Uh, it ultimately depends. I mean, if you can get a guy who is like a Marquez, and that's been the common name that's been thrown around by people in relation to this Lourdes Gurriel Jr. thing, I think you have to pull the trigger in my mind. I mean, Lourdes has been fantastic since he's been here. He's just only gotten solidified into the outfield. He can play around the infield on an emergency basis, so there's some value there. But 
if they, if they if they were to trade Lourdes, they would have to make a splash in the outfield free agent market, or else it doesn't make any sense to do it. So it really depends if there's a follow up move to trading Lourdes Gurriel. Very well said, both of you on that one. So we're going to just change topics over here. I'm sorry, I don't have a good segue, everybody. <laughs> uh, uh, no points for me. <laughs> anyway, I have to teach you that, Borden. I'm going to have to teach you that. Let's go. Uh, I'm usually pretty good at it. <laughs> Brendan usually gives me points. <laughs> you are. You are. You, so, but ch- going away from that, we got the position that is a little bit more of an obvious strength at the moment fellas and that is the catching position who we're going to dive into a little bit here in our review with these guys but the fact that Danny Jansen and Reese McGuire are apparently heavy sought after items on the trade market all of a sudden which is not terribly shocking but are are you expecting the Blue Jays to possibly be trading one of these assets at the catching position especially knowing what's coming through the minor league system as well any other regime at any time in the history of this franchise, and I would say, I would say no, I would not expect them. But this is 2019, and this is modern day Blue Jays, and the fact that this is being discussed or hinted at doesn't make again any logical sense. And you know, I I, I look at the situation and I say, you know, I came from an era where I watched catchers kind of grow up together, like Ernie Witt and Greg Myers, for example, right, as a tandem. Few people will remember that because it was a really long time ago, and I'm showing my age here. But you've got two guys who are 24 years old. You've got one who's been demonstrated in Jansen, his gold glove caliber prowess, and another one in McGuire who's surprising with his ability to hit at the major league level and control his bat. So why would you want to trade either of them at this stage in the game when you've got them controllable? You've got them showing that they can work together as a tandem. You can. How many times last year down the stretch, especially in a lost season, did you see uh, Montoyo kind of flip-flop them effectively during games? So I, once again, I'm like, where are these rumors coming from? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Of course teams would covet young 24-year-old you know, catchers, but knowing how rare they are and how tough it is to develop two of them together, I say stay the course, don't touch them, keep using them, Take a look at what they've got. You know Jansen's not going to hit 207 again next year. You know McGuire's going to come down to earth after the kind of last few months he had to end the year. See what you've got. Be patient. Brennan? Yeah, I, especially with what Ari just wrapped that point up with, you know that Danny Jansen is going to hit next season. And probably Reese McGuire is going to come down from that crazy offensive uh, output he had. And those 105 plate appearances. So I'm in favor of staying the course going into next season especially because in my mind being like having a two-catcher system like the Blue Jays were saying at the end of the year that they would employ would be like having a solid two-goalie system in the NHL which got the St. Louis Blues and Boston Bruins both to the Stanley Cup last year Uh, so in a way it's also very good to keep your catchers uh, healthy by splitting the time somewhat evenly uh, keep them fresh if you were to trade one, I would be well more in favor, not just because I'm biased, so I'll preface it that way, I would be much more in favor of trading Reese McGuire and kind of taking advantage of how hot he looked at the plate uh, down the stretch uh, in 2019. Because even though he was killer with the bat, he still was worth 1.2 wins. Now, I know Jan- Danny Jansen had a much larger sample size, but he still was more valuable than him. So if Jansen's improvements behind the plate were as drastic and they stay that way, for the most part, and if that catches back up, you're looking at a three- to four-win catcher year in, year out. So I don't want to trade Jansen, but there's an equal thing to be said that maybe Reese McGuire can give you the exact same thing, so why would you get rid of either of them? So it's going to be interesting, but again, I think if it gets you a starting pitcher that's young and controllable and really good and would go at the front of your rotation, I think you have to do it. Yeah, I want to... By the way, for the record... For the record, that's a great analogy, but you do know there is no such thing as a two-goalie system in this market. The Toronto Maple Leafs, between Garrett, between Garrett, the Garrett Sparks fiasco of last year and now the Michael Hutchinson fiasco, have demonstrated they don't know how to have a two-goalie system. So, no. so maybe, the, maybe the baseball team will have a better chance of developing two catchers than the hockey team developing two goalies at the same time. Yes, I think you're 100% right there. <laughs> yeah, can I point out the irony other than the you know um, fact that what you just... Re- re- we were out there a few minutes ago, Ari, with uh, with uh, Buck Martinez and everybody back in the day, but the fact that we haven't even developed a catcher since, <laughs> let alone two. That's, <laughs> That's so kind true. Of and by the way, I just realized, 
thank you for pointing that out. It was Witt and Martinez, and then you know Greg Myers came along later when it was uh, what's his face uh, Pat Borders. So uh, thanks yep. for correcting me very subtly there, subliminally. Well played, Borden. You're I a try. slick, slick host, man. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Silky smooth. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's but fellas, I wonder how much of this conversation is actually one year premature. You know, if we have this same conversation next off season, at least you got the backing up of some of the other Blue Jays minor league catchers coming into the double AA, A, triple A level in Alejandro Kirk and company. You know, we might have a couple of other catchers that automatically speed this up and show this is one of the weirdest, you know, plethoras of talent that the Blue Jays have had in years. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's, there's no doubting the talent. Again, I, I, I just I'm, I want to see what this organization does during the off season, right? Like the three of us have been writing and talking about it long enough to know what this team is made up of, and there's a surrealism I think inherently to us debating over trading prospects involving 24 year old catchers or 26 year old utility outfielders slash infielders, right? Like, doesn't it seem ridiculous to you both that? for a team that's supposedly rebuilding the rumors are involving developmental players that they want to stop and start again almost reset the button by going after even more talented draft picks like when the hell are we going to start seeing winning because at this rate the curve will be like 2024 before we start seeing even a 500 baseball team because without the pitching and with trading all your guys who are on the cusp of controllability or, or losing controllability you end up being in this weird spiral you know what I mean where you just kind of like groundhog day your way each year so we're the Seattle Mariners all of a sudden. <laughs> well, I'd just like to get out of the speedback loop, right? Because it's ridiculous. Like, you know, this is a huge market, and there's such an opportunity here. And without going into one of my trademark, you know, rage-filled expletives, you know, expletive <laughs> diatribes about how Shapiro and Atkins are nothing more than frugal, you know, talking heads, corporate double-talking heads, I'd, I'd just like to see some, some traction. You know, like Panikar stated, there are a lot of opportunities out there to upgrade this team, and it involves spending a little money. So you know what? Open up the wallet. See if you can find some loonies and toonies in the bottom of the Rogers account for the baseball side, and go out and actually upgrade this team. I'd like to see that. Yeah, they're definitely not getting that from Looney Dog Night or anything like that at the ballpark, so they got to find out a way to invest somewhere, right? <laughs> Man, oh man, was that a cheap? Was that a cheap fiasco or what? Like honestly, that that's going to be your highlight of the year. Yeah, how about, and how about I had a few of those They weren't very exciting. It was like a shot glass full of beer. <laughs> <laughs> so you were there to drink the, you know, to to drink the gruel, if you will. And at the end of the day, wouldn't it have been more enjoyable if they would have been instead focusing on marketing the young players? And I love the fact that you're covering the infielders on this on this show. Because really, that's going to be their bread and butter for next year's, you know, attraction efforts to bring fans in, which will be Bichette and Guerrero in particular. So, just get some pitching. We can't we can't go to twelve, three games where they're getting pummeled in the fourth inning. Expect for people to appreciate the young talent. So I got the segue this time. <laughs> so now that you've been you talking know, nothing but youth not movement, segue, but let's yeah. talk about the guy that is possibly being dangled out on the general manager line for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And that is Ben Charrington, fellas, who's been one of the solid pieces as the Blue Jays have been evolving all this young talent. He is one of the top three candidates for the Pittsburgh Pirates general manager job and was part of the ensembling of the, you know, 2011 Boston Red Sox. So this is a guy that I'm not shocked that is a very sought-after piece for future front offices for other baseball teams, but... Brendan, this has got to be a big blow to the Blue Jays' development staff if all of a sudden Ben Charrington walks out the door. Yeah, Charrington put together that Red Sox World Series team, as you mentioned. Um, so he is noted uh, uh, putting that team together. Dombrowski obviously came in and started to build it back up after a few bad seasons there. But yeah, he was the architect behind the 2013 World Series champions there in Boston. Uh, so... He's a noted track record uh, of being a winner, knowing how to evaluate and develop talent throughout the entire system. So it would be a big blow, but at the same time, he had interest last year in a whole bunch of different organizations too. So it's only a matter of time before he's going to be scooped back up. I don't know if, you're, if there's anything that they can do to keep him around because it would probably be a promotion for him. So it's not like you're going to stop him from doing that. So it, it will suck if he does go. Hopefully he doesn't, but it's a telltale sign that he isn't with Ross Atkins and company. At uh, at the winter meetings right now in Arizona. Yeah, Ari. 
the, about the only thing I could offer you that I find interesting about the situation is that I was born one month before Ben Charrington, and yet I feel like he's completed so much more in baseball than I've ever, ever dreamt of. And that's cool. <laughs> I'm fine with that, you know? I don't mind coveting this guy as a valuable executive. The thing is, let's be honest, he came to this team, what, about two years ago? So it's obvious that when he came to this organization, he was being groomed for something more. So unless something happened internally that will prevent him from becoming uh, the guy who's really in control of this club, I can totally see him leaving for that reason, for other people, you know, seeking the successor to Theo Epstein and someone who constructed that, you know, really competitive Boston teams as being an an alternative. Um, I mean, really, how badly do we want to keep Ross Atkins? Like, Ross Atkins could stop being the GM tomorrow, and nobody would know. There'd be no difference. That's exactly how horrible he's been. Uh, Unless you guys want to convince me otherwise, I think Ross Atkins has been a placeholder for something that will involve Charrington in the future, and that could also involve whether or not Shapiro stays, right? Because we're all assuming Shapiro's in for the long haul, and I think they'll both agree there's no guarantee behind that either, right? Yeah, worst case scenario out of this whole thing, regardless of the Cleveland connection that you're talking about there, Ari. (laughs) Sherrington did bring us some pretty good guys in this minor league system, and we know that he's been doing a great job developing it. It's going to be sorely to see that all of a sudden you won't see guys like Boba Shett and whatnot. And there are guys that are just as capable within this minor league system that are, you know, he was part of this big conversation to stay the course with these guys throughout the minor league system and we're reaping all the benefits that we are going to get into gushing about here in just a few moments for our infield, but very interesting that well, he's you know, in it, this job. It, it took a couple of years for them to cleanse themselves of, I think this week, symbolically, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think this week, with Travis being let go and Tapera now on the market, I don't think there are any remnants of the Alex Anthopoulos acquisitions left on this team. Am I right? Is there anyone no, left? That, you are uh, correct. No. And, and, and you think about it, Smoke, Smoke is, a, is, is basically a free agent, so really, who's left, right? Nobody. Isn't that crazy? That's yeah, it, any nobody. Of you, any, of you, any of you know who the longest tenured Blue Jay is currently? <laughs> you got me, man. Oh, wow. <laughs> hang on, hang on. I want to take a stab at this. I want to take a stab yeah. at this. Go for hang it. Hang on a second. I, I don't know prod. if I can, though, because really, I... I I'd have to look at the roster, but is it a pitcher, Brendan? No, no, it's a position player. Huh? Yeah. Then I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's a uh, somebody like a Teoscar Hernandez, something crazy like that. He, he's he's close. He's not, he's not too far behind, but it's, it, it is Luke Mayley of all people. Oh, good lord, good lord! <laughs> when your signs that your baseball team might not be there. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> So there you go. <laughs> you love the mailman, but that's, that's slightly disappointing. And that one's probably short-lived, too, at this point, fellas, with that catching tenure that we were just alluding to. So, actually... Well, see, at least, you know, go you're going to grade them for what's now, right? Like, no matter what, whatever unfolds during the 2020 baseball season, you will not be able to, in any way, shape, or form, attribute it to anyone else but Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins. And I actually like that. I truly like that fans can now look at this team objectively and say, hey, there are no traces of the old regime. This is all yours, baby. You guys built it. Let's see what happens. Got a true litmus test. <laughs> we will well, at least out. if you want to prove that you're, that you're in the right direction, right? You, you want to prove to the fans that the, the road you're traveling now is one that you constructed specifically for the team that you have. So let's see what happens. So, fellas, let's dive into where we're actually at. The current grading of the 2019 Toronto Blue Jays season. Why don't we just kick this off right behind the dish? We talked about Luke Maley in last week's part one of the infield episode, fellas. And we have two catchers to talk about behind the dish. And I'm going to give Brennan Panikar a chance to gush about Danny Jansen because I know he's already got that jersey hanging in the window, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, hanging, hanging high and proud there, man. But uh, you know what? I, I, if I was to give him a letter grade, I'd probably give him, and maybe it's a little harsh, maybe not, but I, I would say about a C or a C plus is fair. But at the same time, I could see somebody equally giving him as high as a B, just because he came into the season needing to really, really work on his defense behind the plate. And man, you go look at his Fangraphs page and his defensive rating or war, defensive WAR, whatever it's called on Fangrass was 17, and that was one of the highest uh, among all MLB catchers a season ago. So he came out there, he worked on it, I think, at the sa- at the sacrifice of his offensive game, 
So if he can combine the defense that he brought in 2018 with the offense we saw in the minor leagues, which is definitely possible, it's in his bat, you're looking at a very good catcher for years to come unless he is traded, <laughs> which I hope doesn't happen. Uh, so, no, he uh, it's still 13 home runs, not a bad total for him either in a, in a down offensive year, but it was all about proving he could be an everyday catcher behind the plate defensively, and I think he passed that with flying colors. So maybe I'll give him two kind of grades. Defense got an A, and offense got a D. And so you look at that, that is about a C plus, maybe B, B minus kind of year. It sounds like my GPA in college, Brendan. <laughs> yep, me too. <laughs> All electrical failed everything else. <laughs> yep. Excelling in baseball in theory. <laughs> but Ari, give me what you thought, your two cents on Danny Jansen's 2019 tenure. You, you zany Americans with your GPA, I'll tell you. <laughs> So, so competitive in this world, eh? So competitive. Listen, Dan, Danny Jansen, I've talked about Danny Jansen so much, so often, whether it's on my show or other people's show. The kid knows baseball. And even though he struggled offensively, and it's funny because I'm listening to you analyze him, Brendan, and I'm thinking to myself, man, giving grades in a horrible year like they had almost seems self-defeating. You know what I mean? Because really, what are we grading? I mean, if we're grading the results, yeah, he was probably a cumulative C. But in terms of potential, you put him in as an A+. He's the kind of guy that if you can see the value he brings defensively and know that it's just a matter of working, you know, in in the batting cage and, and putting in extra hours, I mean, Danny Jansen's not a 200 hitter. Danny Jansen has power. And if he can go through an offseason where he works hard on his, on his game and, it, like I said, with his swing, I think he'll be just fine. I think the fact that he's turned out to be such an incredibly effective defensive player in a position that you absolutely would like to see it. Um, you obviously don't want him to be a, what was it, a Charlie O'Brien. You don't want him to be a defensive specialist. I'm tired of those catchers who are just like, <laughs> you know, 200 hitting lightweight catchers. But you know Danny Jantz is not going to be that way. And you two, especially having watched him in the minors, you know this kid can hit. So I would rather think that the, the aberration was uh, was the offense and certainly not the defense because I think once you become the kind of catcher he's turning into defensively, that stays with you your whole career. Yeah, it's going to be nice to see after this offseason what you get out of Danny Jansen because he doesn't have to go into this offseason, fellas, knowing he has to work on something. He can look at his overall game and know what he needs to bring to the dish this year, period. You know, obviously last season he was defense, 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 and that's why we saw him actually highly ranked in the gold glove conversation as far as major or American League hitter, catchers go. Wow. Almost lost that one. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, fellas, this is one of those guys that is a, I'm not going to say, you know, looking like Buster Posey, but the fact that you have a guy that could even be in that conversation is something that's unheard of the Toronto Blue Jays fans. And the fact that you actually have somebody that is could be a solid player like this behind the plate, it's a, a position of pure barren for Blue Jays fans for years. You mentioned Charlie O'Brien, whose greatest catching feat in all his baseball tenure was the fact that he was the first one to wear a freaking goalie helmet, which, ironic, came out of Canada. But, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, but, that's true. That's true. And, and But, you know, the fans just want – the fans have heard that before. How many defensive catchers have the Blue Jays had in, like, last 15, 20 years that were marketed as, like, these specialists? Here's the irony. That's not really valuable. Because there aren't many catchers in this league anymore who can play the game properly defensively. And Danny Jansen has just shown at a ridiculously young age that this kid could win a gold glove. You don't trade that. You hold on to that and you keep developing the player at the plate. And then eventually when he hits 250 to 270, then he'll win those gold gloves. Because they're not going to give a gold glove winner to a 200 hitter. But that's not what he is. Just got to be patient. He's a baller. The kid's good. Speaking of ballers, though, fellas, he might have some competition in Reese McGuire. And, Ari, I'm going to let you kick this one off. Reese McGuire put together a solid promotion period for the Toronto Blue Jays in his uh, little gl glimpse that we saw. Other, outside that uh, series in his uh, front of his family in Seattle, did pretty solid and looked just as good defensively behind the plate and actually showed some offense. What's your review on uh, Reese McGuire this year, my friend? Short and succinct. He didn't even have a cup of coffee. He had more like an espresso in a really small cup. 
you know, with his hundred plate appearances. <laughs> but what he did, what he did show though, is that when he's aggressive at the plate, he can really surprise major league pitchers. So the way I see it, he's part of a really good tandem that Panikar alluded to earlier that the Blue Jays would like to see develop into a two catcher system. And I just like to see his game become more improved on both sides, you know, because there were a couple of late in the games last year where he looked like he was a bit clueless and, and how he handled some of the pitchers and, you know, I'm not sure how many pass balls, wild pitches he finished with, but it was a struggle at times for him. So the way I see it, same principle, give the kid a nice B-plus to start his uh, major league career and just keep at his game and hope he keeps developing just like Johnson. And again, 24 years old, that's so ridiculous to think that you'd ever give up on a 24-year-old catcher, let alone one of the promises McGuire. Brennan upside, looking pretty good for uh, Reese McGuire, but is he catching up to Jansen? Um, I'm not sure he's catching up to Danny Jansen. I mean, offensively in the minor leagues, he definitely isn't anything close to what Danny Jansen was. But I correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I'm pretty sure the calling card on Reese McGuire when they got him, which is what we just were talking about, was being more of a defensive catcher. And he did show that a little bit last year, but his bat caught up to him. I mean, his career high for home runs in the minor leagues was in 2018 with the Blue Jays, and he hit seven in 369 plate appearances. He hit 100 and 105 plate appearances. He hit five at the big league level this year. So maybe they've unlocked something in his bat. And if that's the case, I actually think that they're both very, very similar. And if you have both of those guys behind the plate, I even though there are trade rumors, I would be more in favor of doing exactly what Ari said earlier uh, in the episode in terms of keeping them both and riding it out, especially into next season. When You know what? You could stumble into being quite good, especially if you add some starting pitching like we've talked about already. Yeah, fellas, I'd rather know what I have. And right now, I don't know what I have from either of them. So I'm going to let them ride it out 50-50 and see who just wheels and takes away this job. From at, at, a position, <laughs> at a position that you can't afford to make a mistake, right? Because you imagine you trade one of those two guys, and then they actually become a superstar, and that's a catcher. Come on. That's your, that's your golden goose. You get a Buster Posey-esque type player, and you could be set for the next 10 years of baseball as you develop your team. And that's what this organization needs. They need a catcher they can hang their hat on and say, this guy can stabilize the rotation with his leadership and get up at the plate and actually contribute at a position that's been nothing more than a sieve for this team for years. How often do you get to stumble into a Joe Mauer, a Yandy Molina? <laughs> Blue Jays have well, drafted Jansen and get, get Reese McGuire as more or less a throw-in, fellas. That's freaking gold. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, Brendan, let's continue around the diamond. Let's start with first base. Rowdy Telez was the other first baseman this year, and we saw a lot of mixed batches from Rowdy. Up and down in the minors a little bit. Came back, looked a little stronger at the, at the end of the season, but is Rowdy Telez taking the first base, or are the Blue Jays using this as a, yeah, we got somebody that can hit well enough here <laughs> after the 2019 season? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. The book for me on Rowdy Telez is still out. I'm not sure if he can be the everyday guy at first base. He has incredible power. There's no denying that. He's a big boy. He can get out there and really hit it over the fence. And you know what? There wasn't any month looking at his split that he really stood out uh, to me. The highest he hit in a month was 247 uh, in the month of May when he had 95 plate appearances. And that was the month where he had the most amount of plate appearances. Uh, so there were some struggles, there were some hot stretches, but I mean, outside of those hot runs, there was a lot of bad from Rowdy Telez and whether that's him striking out as often as he did a season ago, which was, I yeah, almost 30% of the time. They have a lot of guys who have swing and miss stuff, uh, in that, in the batting order. So I think they're, they're definitely going to be looking for an upgrade at first base. And that's why you've seen some of the stuff, and I keep on referring to him because he's down there at the winter meetings with Scott Mitchell, said today that Ross Atkins confirmed the interest that they have in the Japanese first baseman slash left fielder, Yoshitomo Sutsuko. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. And apparently he's really good. They've done a lot of homework on him. So if that's the case, and he's primarily a first baseman, I think that can tell you that they're not necessarily sold at Rowdy Telez either. Mr. Shapiro, you want to give me your two cents on the 21 home run season of Rowdy Telez and what your insight is to this possible future for the Rowdy man? 
Craig, you know me too well to appreciate that I have a hard time dignifying a player's performance when they're packing an on-base percentage under 300. It just, I don't feel, I don't feel comfortable doing it. I'll tell you why. Because Rowdy Gillespie, you know, his power is impressive. But what good is his power if he's going to strike out 150 times a year, you know, with over 600 plate appearances? And and last year was reflective of that. The kid strikes out too much. He doesn't walk enough. And at times he looks absolutely clueless at the plate. And while I appreciate the notion of harnessing his power, the fact that he's a first baseman, what are we talking about here, right? We're talking about like a Steve Balboni experiment for those old school people <laughs> who remember the, you know, remember the days of guys like Corey Snyder or Steve Balboni or, you know, you had guys like Ivan Calderon where you had these massive power numbers, but the fact is they strike out a lot. And maybe it's a little premature to do that because, again, he's only 24. But, again, what have you got with Telez? You've got a guy that you know fundamentally is not going to suddenly turn into a control hitter. So if you need the power at first, yeah, sure, keep him. But to me, last year's 293 OBP spoke volumes, and that's why I give him a D for the season. It really didn't add very much, I think, to what the Blue Jays are looking for, which is a, a contact hitter possible at first base. Yeah, ironically, I um, knew about that stat, Ari, but the fact that you blatantly brought it out so vigorously only makes my me look so much better at MLB The Show with my talented rookie player that never walks. <laughs> well, you know it, right? It's 2019. 30 home, let's say he hits 30 home runs. Let's say you give him a full season and he hits 30 home runs. That's not so impressive in this day and age, right? What's impressive is if you can hit 30 home runs and have like a 340, 350%. Now, I know that's like reserved in this day and age for only the best of players, but again, Rowdy, Rowdy still needs work. He needs, to, he needs to find a way to get on base more consistently. Otherwise, he becomes a completely expendable player and is not someone that deserves too much attention, in my opinion. Not when you've got other guys in the infield who absolutely do because their talent level is already reaping the dividends for this club. Last year, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Rowdy Telez was the equivalent of zero war. So what did he get? Nothing. Did you lose anything? No. He is what he was. Yeah, which is a replacement level player, as for all the people that do exactly. not know these wonderful war things. And But the fact that you alluded to the rest of the ridiculousness that we have building around this diamond, let's start off with the guy that actually finished a lot higher in the Rookie of the Year standings than a lot of people would have guessed. And Ari, that is Kevin Biggio, our newest second baseman. And it's ironic to actually say that we have a second baseman. <laughs> especially, especially one with that much talent, right? I mean, you're talking about a kid who gets up to the plate and he knows what he's doing. He knows how to take a walk. He knows how to uh, pay attention to situational hitting and when to go after a pitch and when to lay off a pitch. There's really nothing to be critical about Kevin Biggio. Uh, there was a stretch there last year where it looked like people were questioning whether he could be a consistent hitter, I have no doubt. Uh, just the fact that he knows how to take a walk impresses me because I think I'm more impressed with younger players who know how to take walks than those who are trying to put up big power numbers. Those are the guys, you know what I mean, like a Will Clark type player. I'd like to see the Blue Jays with the kind of player that you know you can rely on in the pinch because he's going to give you a quality at bat. And last year, Kevin Biggio had a lot of quality at bats that made all three of us, I'm sure, very happy with insane quality at bats and by the way thank you for saying one of my favorite players will clark <laughs> will the thrill is the man so if you have anything like that Big brendan panikar the fact that kevin biggio is this basically a ready-made polished player that we finally got to see come out a 2.8 war man this is exciting stuff for the toronto blue jays that's huge that's huge it's massive and you know what and, and ari i'm in complete agreement with you i think we all are opp Getting the ability to take your walks and get on base, especially for a guy who, as well, is 24 years old. It seems to be a common number. <laughs> a lot of the guys are talking about in the 24-year-old, but almost 370 OBP. It, it, think about it. If, if he cuts down on his strikeout percentage, which was getting close to 30, and he makes better contact at the plate, he'll get on base even more. His batting average will be higher, and he will have a better weighted runs created plus. This year he was at 114, and his war will be higher. Plus, he gives you some pretty decent defense. He doesn't really hurt you defensively. He can hit his home runs. He had 16 and 48 RBIs, but he also stole 14 bases. I think you're looking at the entire package of a player that you need uh, in a lineup. Uh, somebody that's hard to come by, and Kevin Biggio would be that kind of guy who's hard to come by for any organization. 
So they're off to a fantastic start. The fact that you know next season you can plug in a guy near the top of your lineup who gets on base almost 30, uh, 37% of the time, that's impressive, especially for a 24-year-old. Beginning of the season, fellas, I want to flash you back. People are talking Kevin Biggio as a super utility player, doesn't have a place on the regular everyday nine-man roster outside the fact that he is very selective and then now flashing forward to, you know, post-2019, guys. This is a guy that beats out Vladdy Jr. as far as Rookie of the Year votes are concerned. Where does this come from, Brendan? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. And you know what? I think the uh, even more impressive thing was that he was able to carry a lot of what he did in the minor leagues up to the big leagues uh, in terms of a lot of the stuff that he did down there. The strikeouts are still a little concerning, but everybody seems to strike out in this day and age, and it's not as a big of a deal as it used to be. So uh, he kind of came out of nowhere. I think everybody had all the expectations on Vladimir Gray Jr., and rightfully so. And, you know, Kevin had a hell of a year in 100 games and 430 plate appearances. So he gets the credit where credit is due. Uh, you must know where it comes from, and it's really simple. It comes from his dad. It comes from his father. It comes from it comes from the way that he was raised to play the game. And and like you said, Brendan, look, I'm fine with strikeouts if I know the player is paying attention to the situation and knows when to take a walk. And for him to strike out as much as he did and still find a way to consistently get on base, that earns the respect of the entire organization and fans. And it, it'd be nice to have a second baseman who you know can be this lively player that is very aware of the situation, knows when to take a base, know, you know, he can get on base via walk, he can steal you a base, he can show you power very quietly at 24. And what he did last year, I think he finished fifth in Rookie of the Year voting. Kevin Biggio has put himself, in my opinion, in the same category of anticipation of talent as Vlad Guerrero and Bochet. And that's saying something. Very much saying something because we all know the mania that is surrounded around those other two. And Ari, it's your turn to just kick this one off. Get me going on the bow flow, man. I want to hear it. Let it all out. <laughs> I love I love the fact that I set up the segue for you as well, man. And keeping with hockey analogies. <laughs> all teed up and that's gone. The first assist. That's a tap in, tap in goal, first assist. No, listen, Bo Bichette, what, what can be said about Bo Bichette that hasn't been, right? I mean, obviously he bursts on the scene has a monster start to his baseball career, I think for about two weeks was dominating ESPN baseball headlines because it seemed like every game he was doing something. Bo, you know, Bo is going to be a very special player for many years to come. And the fact that the Blue Jays really almost dropped the ball by keeping him down a little bit too long. I mean, I know he got injured and they wanted to rehab him properly, but if you recall, there was that controversy where it seemed like he was wondering when the hell he'd finally be called up and what did he show us? He showed us, you know, finishing in the top 10 and rookie voting, rookie of the year voting. He showed us that he is exactly the kind of player that's advertised, which is, uh, you know, a smart, intelligent baseball player that understands how to, how to carry himself at the plate, in the field. He has a chance to be a very special uh, two-way player for them in that regard and put up some monster numbers, I think. The fact that he hit over 300 Again, with a much bigger cup of coffee, we'll say he had a large cappuccino. That was one of the sweetest drinks the Blue Jays fans had all year in a, in a miserable year. So as Ari goes full Mocha Grande on Boba Shet, this is a guy that goes 325 for the month of August, Brendan. This is insane level of production that is going to be ridiculously good for the trial Blue Jays going forward. How crucial is the 2019 season for Boba Shet to his development where this team's going? Oh, it was massive. And I think we saw a little bit of him adjusting to big league finally because when he got up here, we're all like, when the hell is this guy going to slow down? Because nobody really does this. I mean, Vlad Jr. went through his extended struggle when he got up here and he got himself a nice little season. Bo came onto the scene and was just ridiculous. He slowed down quite a bit in September. In only 16 games, he had 254, which, you know what, isn't terrible at all by any means. But considering what he was doing when he first got up here, you saw the adjustment period, so he was able to start making those. He's now used to the big leagues. He can come into spring training knowing, hey, I'm going right up to Toronto uh, when March comes around and opening day is uh, on the calendar. So he'll be able to work on some other things down there, like being able to take his walks a little bit more often, maybe work on his defense a little bit more now that he knows he's here for good. But I don't know, guys, if there was a better moment this season 
uh, than when I know it came in a massive blowout loss, but when he hit two home runs off of Clayton Kershaw at Dodger Stadium. Uh, that was one of the highlights of the season for me personally, and Bo's going to be a fan favorite for years. Him and Vlad Jr., it's safe to say, are going to be the new Jose Bautista and Edwin and Edwin Encarnacion for the next six, seven, hopefully longer amount of years. Very, very good stuff. And the fact that you mentioned that Kershaw game, Brendan, always still spins the wonderful ridiculousness of that second at-bat to me when he was facing Kershaw where he got the most ridiculous 50-mile-an-hour curveball hook (laughs) and sends him back to the bench, and he just had the biggest grin on his face, smiling the whole way back, and Kevin Biggio and Vladdy are sitting there on the bench just going, ha-ha, look at you. (laughs) It's good stuff that the fact that the three of them are so tight-knit, and it's going to be very interesting for Blue Jays baseball. Um, Speaking of that last piece, Ari, go ahead. uh, You got something. No, the only thing I have is my admiration for how you sum that up. That's it exactly. The two of them are going to be uh, essentially the thrust of Blue Jays' marketing efforts to get people to come in and watch this team play. And uh, they're going to be very successful with it. That's an amazing one-two punch and a testament to the fact that it's required some remnants of the old Anthopolis era to make a possibility. We have to give credit where credit is due. Vlad's not a, a you know with this team. If uh, if uh, Anthopolis doesn't have the kind of EI for talent and advisors, so it worked. It worked out for the Shapiro uh, Atkins regime. This is their one-two punch next year to get the league notice, noticing that they've got some real talent. Yeah, they got something really brewing there, guys. And I want to talk about the biggest piece that we thought about going into this season the number one Blue Jays prospect for repetitive years, and it was kind of the, when is he coming? Brendan Panikar, you and I were there for the Vladimonium <laughs> this, uh, what was it, April? <laughs> or was it July? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, late, late April, buddy. Uh, you were able to come up and we were able to take that game in. That was a lot of fun. That was uh, There was a buzz in the ballpark that I don't think existed the entire season. That, that was There was more buzz uh, at the Rogers Center that night than there was an opening day against the Tigers. Maybe because it was a Friday night. Vlad Jr. was up, obviously. That played a contributing factor to it. was the Tigers. But, yeah, that was... <laughs> exactly, it was the Tigers. Uh, but yeah, this... Uh, you know what? I know that uh, he definitely didn't live up to the expectations that we all placed on him, but man, those expectations were sky high. It's like we were all expecting him to get up here and mash 30 home runs, hit 300, be on base a crazy amount of times. When you take a step back, you temper your expectations and be like, okay, so everybody knew that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was going to be the focal point in the 2019 Blue Jays offense, and that's who pitchers were focusing on getting out the entire season in its 514 plate appearances. 15 home runs, 69 RBIs, not bad numbers, not at all. And then a 272 batting average and a 339 OBP. The one impressive thing with me is that he doesn't strike out a whole lot. He's always swinging at pitches he knows he can hit. He only struck out 17.7% of the time. You know what? When you go back and look at what Jose Bautista did in his prime with the Blue Jays, strikeout numbers were right around the same, maybe a little lower, but I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will end up being that kind of a guy who can walk more than he strikes out, get on base 350 to 370% of the time. And basically what I'm trying to say is, even though he didn't live up to the expectations, he still had a pretty damn good rookie year, and people should be stoked on what he could do in his first full season in the big leagues in 2020. I think he's going to break out in a massive way. Yeah, People should be stoked, Ari. This is a guy that still hit 24 doubles and hit 16 home runs with 63 RBIs. This is a generational talent for everybody's quote-unquote, he didn't live up to Mike Trout levels in his first season. This is still a solid piece for the Blue Jays going forward and the probable face of the franchise. Well, I'm stoked because this is now officially the longest podcast I've been on since I went on that World War II history appearance that I had with that podcast I was on a couple of weeks ago. This is epic. I love it, man. This is so much baseball. Again, first day of winter here in Toronto, snow coming down, insanity. And yeah, the one thing that makes me feel good and warm and fuzzy when it comes to this Toronto Blue Jays team is knowing that Vlad Guerrero Jr. will only get better. And I know that his second half was punctuated by stretches where he looked like he wasn't sure what he was doing up at the plate or he was pressing too hard. There were some criticisms that maybe he needs to change the trajectory or arc of his swing because he's hitting the ball harder than virtually any other major league player, but he wasn't able to get the lift on his... uh, 
on his, uh, you know, batted balls, as they say. And look, I, I, I have no doubt that he's going to be an absolute monster in this league because he hit 91 home runs at the Home Run Derby. And the <laughs> fact that he hit 91 home runs <laughs> is a number that you need to keep burned in your head because this kid is nothing short of a mercurial talent that needs to settle down during the off season. Everybody knows he needs to get in shape. We know that there was some, you know, disparaging stuff on social media about his weight throughout the year for obvious reasons. Let's 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 call the truth out on this. You know, when he stepped out of that facility back in April or whatever it was in preseason, um, you know, the kid looked like he was a he was a little bit, how shall we say, unprepared for the year. And I think that's why the organization was worried about bringing him up too soon. Um, so if he can come back in even better shape than last year, which I think he will, because we now know he's got like a personal trainer slash chaperone slash, you know, Ross Atkins, little birds from Game of Thrones checking in on him. Hopefully <laughs> the news, the news will be that the kid is, is drinking his protein shakes, working in the weight room and doing something about keeping his swing a little bit more compact because those last two months of the season were, were kind of tough to watch. He opened up his swing to the point where, he tried to be his dad, but he is nowhere near his dad right now when it comes to bat control. He's got the right idea, but the execution isn't there. That being said, when you have Kevin Biggio, Bo Bichette, and Vlad Guerrero Jr. Uh, as your one, two, three faces of this franchise heading into a year, how can you not be excited about your baseball team? So I have no doubt he's only going to get better, and as uh, Panikar alluded to, has a chance to be the kind of player that has an electricity that can bring in player, you know, fans alike single-handedly. So I got to put this one on it for you, Ari, because I know Brendan's already heard me say this a few times, but Ken Griffey Jr. did not see himself as a power hitter either. Just saying. <laughs> no, he didn't, and it's ironic because I think when he finally blossomed, a lot of people kept saying, oh, yeah, we knew he'd hit this many home runs. I don't know how many home runs Vlad Guerrero will hit when he blossoms because I don't think he's nowhere near blossomed yet. And yet he hit 91 home runs at the Home Run Derby. So what are we talking about here, right? Sky's the limit for this man. And then my second wonderful tidbit, I don't know if you've been seeing Loris Gurriel Jr.'s Instagram or not, but Vlad Jr. might already be the preseason candidate for best shape of his life. (laughs) (laughs) I think that will 100% happen. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think it's it's not hard to win that award when you started looking the way he did last year because it, it was rough. I mean, you know, think about it. His injuries, he had a couple of micro injuries where he was out, you know, a dozen games or eight games were caused as a direct result of just uh, not being in shape. So well, then those injuries you know, didn't help him I, be in shape either because a lot of those ones were nagging leg injuries and whatnot. So that's more time you just got to sorry yeah, but, work but, on your arms. <laughs> Which were clearly working with oh, ninety-one think, home runs. <laughs> that's right, but 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 think about that, right? You're, you you can use your arms very differently than your legs, and your arms can help you hit home runs. But if your legs are uh, taking on too much weight, and, and again, let's just cut to the chase here. He was too heavy. That was the issue. He needs to get lighter because he's putting too much strain on his ligaments and on his tendons, and that's how you hurt yourself while running. And if there's one thing you never want to do in Major League Baseball, it's self while running because there's no excuses for that. I'm sorry. Like, there just, just isn't. Major League player, you should be prepared to look after yourself and your body and, and your conditioning. And the kid, unfortunately, hasn't even been introduced to that yet. So hopefully his handlers will sit him down and say, you know what, less Fortnite, less uh, potato chips, less desserts, more uh, more going at the gym and in the batter's box and learning how to keep elevating your swing so you can hit 68 home runs one year and really shock it. <laughs> oh, God, don't tease me. I would love nothing more than to see Barry Bonds wiped from the record books. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's anyone you know that could possibly do it, it's, it's a kid with that much talent. Listen to these expectations, fellas. How do you not get excited about baseball in cold as hell November? <laughs> so, but fellas, this is the eventual coming of the Blue Jays' new, like, I'm going to say four horsemen with the new namesakes and second-generation baseball players. How excited are you, and is this a coming a formation of a Whamco-like lineup coming? And, Brendan, I'm going to let you uh, put a bow on this one with it. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fun watching uh, the top four, even top five, maybe even top six uh, in the batting order to start uh, 2020. And honestly, I think with what we've said, and I think a common theme people that listen to this can take away is 
the theme among everybody here on Twitter is if you add starting pitchers and legitimate starting pitchers and you keep the bullpen, I mean, bullpens are always in flux, so you do what you want there, just keep some guys around and whatnot, but if you add some starting pitching, this team can be good in 2020. I'm not sure if they will be good enough to make the playoffs. I'm not sure if they'll be good enough to be in the conversation for the wild card, but I really don't see 500 being out of the equation with another starting pitcher or two, given how talented and how young this offense is. I think 2020 could be the bridge year that gets everybody excited for when opening day 2021 rolls around and people are like, hey, watch for the Blue Jays because they're going to surprise the fuck out of you come 2021. <laughs> Ari, give me oh, your God. thoughts on the coming triumphant horses of Ooh, the Toronto Follow Blue Jays it up, offense. buddy. Let's go. <laughs> come on, Panica, game man. on. It's like, it's, it's like Panica is like, he went into my head, but then just as he started gathering my thoughts, he added some thoughts that maybe I don't think I would ever, ever have materialized in my head, which is the Blue Jays, again, spending money. Like, look, it's really simple in, in my eyes. They finished last year's Game 162 with an on-field payroll that was making $31.5 million. So the way I see it, if this organization goes into the new year without increasing their actual payroll by at least $30, $40, 50000000 million, which would easily allow them to reconstruct their rotation and maybe get some pitchers in there who could help give you the quality innings, then suddenly you can showcase your young talent by knowing that you've got a shot in baseball games. What they can't do is have a year where you've got this marketing campaign showing that you've got these phenomenal young players and then have fans show up let's say 38,000 strong in the first week to watch these young players and then they're down by, you know, eight runs in the third inning because they've got no one to throw the ball. So let's hope that they upgrade the pitching more beyond just getting a Chase Anderson, looking at some serious acquisitions that don't have to be top tier, but at least show a desire to get to 500. Because if they don't do that, I don't think you're going to have much interest in this in this market, and we all know it's at an all-time low. They lost over 500,000 fans last year. Uh, you realize how humiliating that is? Why is that not talked about more? That's half a million fans in a city of millions upon millions of people representing the third or fourth biggest baseball market in North America. Yeah. So, for you know, since we're since we're going to use expletives, which which you guys busted out earlier, it's time to shit or get off the pot when it comes to demonstrating that you have the capacity <laughs> to build bona fide interest and to me it takes more than just a, a Bichot a, a Guerrero and a Bichette it shows a willingness to go out and get some kind of recognizable free agent name so that the whole sport doesn't shut down because of the fact that teams have basically decided to tank well in advance and if the Blue Jays can show that they actually want to play competitive baseball they might just get my ticket you know money and the three of us can go to a game together and drink lots of alcohol so even if we're out of the out of the game in the eighth inning we can talk hockey or basketball or soccer. And it's all good. I'm in. Game on. <laughs> so I'm going to summarize this one for you guys, too, as far as all this is concerned. You have all these generational talents. They have done nothing but win throughout the Toronto Blue Jays minor league system. You're doing them as much of a disservice as you are doing this city by not getting them a f- team on this field that has a chance to compete. You're wasting this talent <laughs> amen amen to that well said that, that's the best way to put a bow on this all right so ari you know how this is we you, you do the same thing on your wonderful broadcast it's your time to shine my friend be your own shameless self-promoter for however long you want to be <laughs> well this this podcast has been so epic and long in nature i almost feel guilty by adding anything else to it i think it's sublime and I think you can check out my work and, and my interests on my website at arishapiro.ca where I do a lot of writing and I do a little a lot of video work and I do a lot of like random pulsating thoughts that could potentially get me into trouble but will always be truthful and honest. I'm a sports centrist. I believe you got to believe in both sides of the story to get the true answer. When it comes to the Toronto Blue Jays, I'm hoping we all have a real reason to show up at the ballpark next year because it'd be a shame for the sport to continue struggling the way it is in this part of the world. How do you like that? Boom. <laughs> Boom. That's an epic way to conclude it. <laughs> I'm glad you like that. Good stuff, gentlemen. 
All right. Well, Brendan, this is, concludes another wonderful episode of Jaybird Watching. Our guest has been Ari Shapiro. He just alluded to all the wonderful, fun places we can find him, Brendan. So it is a pleasure having him back on the show, wasn't it? Absolutely. Ari, we'll have to do this again, buddy. And for everybody listening, next week we will get into the outfield and wrap up our off-season review. And hopefully we'll maybe have another acquisition to talk about because we talked about Chase Anderson last week, nothing this week a lot of interest in some certain people. Maybe there'll be a move or two to talk about next week. If not, we will have all the rumors that we can possibly handle in Blue Jay land, and hopefully they won't be as ridiculous as this week's rumors, guys. (laughs) 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 So I'm going to leave you all with this wonderful tidbit. It might be cold as shitty out, but it is only 89 days until Pit Blue Jay's pitchers and catchers report. So just keep that wonderful tidbit right in your hat. Or, you know, just get used to hockey season because hopefully things are going a little bit better for your NHL affiliate. So, Brendan, Ari, f- finish this as usual with a Let's Go Blue Jays. Let's go, Blue Jays. Let's go, Toronto. I meant, I was going to say Maple Leafs, but we'll say Blue Jays. We'll say Blue Jays. Let's go, Jays. <laughs> I thought you were going to get a rap attack or something like that for a second. anyways all of you out there in blue jays land do not forget to get us on any of your podcasting sites wherever you get your podcasting pleasures from we are all there on here for you on jaybird watching peace out until next week without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.